how are we doing? There we go. Sorry to make Amy wince there. <laughs> um, hey, well, I've been running around looking my um, Kindle to, to read this sermon from and couldn't find it until like four seconds ago sitting in a box back there. So uh, praise the Lord. Otherwise, yeah, I know. I was going to do like a search party type thing. We just took five minutes, <laughs> but um, praise the Lord, we got it. Hey, I'm really glad you're uh, here with us today. My name is Phil Adams. I serve um, as pastor here at Park um, Rogers Park alongside our elders and team and deacons and leads across the church. So really grateful that you're here this morning. We are in a series right now um, working through the gospel of Luke. So if you have a Bible or a, a phone or a device, please look up. Luke's gospel in the New Testament. I also want to say just off the, off the start, just to highlight, um, maybe you guys got some communication this week through WhatsApp or email. Um, uh, about a, it was like a 15-minute articulation by Ryan Bourne, who's on our kids' ministry team, sharing his heart, um, as well as the kids' ministry lead team's heart, just to see discipleship fostered um, among our young people and our youth. And I just want to uh, commend you to, to, to go, and if you haven't already listened to that, I know that many of you have, but it is seriously worth your time just in regards to what uh, we can be as a church and how it matters that when we come together, I hope then you... Um, come to church and come be part of what we're doing here, that you don't come with a posture just to, to, to consume and take, but you, you come to, to, to feed into the lives um, of others. Everybody, everybody in this room has something to offer and to speak into the life of others. Um, and so please come with that kind of posture of, of, of discipleship that, that every one of us are, are ministers of the gospel um, here at Park Rogers Park. Um, also, this Wednesday passed, you guys, it was Ash Wednesday, it's the beginning of the Lent season, so um, if you guys would like to follow through a, a devotional in, in this season, Lent is a time when we, we, we prepare our hearts for uh, the crucifixion, prepare our hearts for resurrection, and we, we remind ourselves of our own um, uh, weaknesses and our own morality, uh, morality, and so I would just encourage you. That's on our park website. Um, you can go there, and it's a forty-day devotional written by park pastors. And just want to um, recommend you do that um, over the next number of weeks in the lead up to Easter. Uh, last week, Jimmy reminded us that when we become followers of Christ, uh, it is as if we have been given uh, new eyes to see the world as it truly is. If, if you wonder um, what is the, the, um, the meaning, the purpose um, of the Bible, it, it is a true telling of history. Um, from from the, the beginning of creation at the beginning of the Bible right through to the end of time when Christ will return and come and judge all of humanity and make all of creation uh, new again. And it's within the story of, of Scripture that we have, which is the story of reality, we discover our unique positioning, um, our unique positioning as, as the church. Um, and you can humor me a little bit this morning as I like go, 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 go through this, that it is through Christ's life and his death and his resurrection that he instigated the reign of a new kingdom, which is the kingdom that will one day fully come. But until Christ returns, in the meantime... The kingdom of God is most fully expressed, it's most fully made evident within the community of Christ, within the church. For the kingdom of God, it is most fully expressed by the community that is bound together by that kingdom. When we surrender our lives to Christ, we are not whisked away, but we remain, we remain here together for a purpose. 
And so we as the church, we, we live as a foretaste of the kingdom that's to come. How, how we live, how we think, what we do as we, we live out the ways of Christ in obedience to him as our affections and our desires become aligned through the Holy Spirit with God's, we are to be a demonstration of a world that is literally on its way. And in so doing, we, we point forward to that day when every corner of this city and this neighborhood and the world will exist in, in submission under the reign of Christ when, when all wrong will be made right again. That, that is the story of the Bible. It is a beautiful story that we are wrapped up in. But we are also more than a foretaste of the world to come and more than a signpost that's pointing forward to that world. We, we, we are also instruments of that very kingdom right here, right now in Rogers Park in Chicago. We're instruments who, who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to proclaim that Christ has come to be those who, who, who usher in and, and welcome in the kingdom of God, to be those who seek it above all else in our homes, in our vocations, in our relationships, and within the lives of those that are living in proximity around us. And we're going to think more and more about this over the year ahead. What, what does this mean for us as a church? I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but in Luke chapter 9, which we will get into in the coming months, Jesus sends his disciples out to proclaim the kingdom of God. Then in chapter 10, he says, when you go, when I send you out to proclaim the kingdom of God, when you enter towns and villages and neighborhoods like ours, say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. That's what it says in Luke chapter 10. He tells them to proclaim the kingdom, to bear witness to its nearness. You know, Rogers Park, we, we do not build the kingdom of God. That, that, that's, not, that's not a task that God has, 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 has burdened us with. The, the, the inbreaking of Christ's reign in our lives and in the lives of others is always determined by God as, as the primary actor and the primary force. But RP, when we, when we are instruments of, of God's will, when we live as sent ones in our proclamation, of the gospel in our commitment to the lost and to the suffering when we move towards places and spaces and people who have not had an encounter with the living Christ and all of that, we don't build the kingdom of God, but we become witnesses and a living demonstration that the king himself is here. We, we become, we become the, the proof of his presence that the king himself is near. And, and I wonder what would it mean for us as a church to view mission, not, not, not as a burden, but as simply as, a, as our belief that to every life and every person and every situation and every pain and every suffering and every broken heart, Jesus is near. That amidst whatever trouble is going on, not only in your life, but in the lives of those around us, Jesus is so close. He's, he's at hand. He's already there. And it's our job just to be present enough to say, don't you see? Don't, don't you, you already know that he is by your side? 
through God using us as instruments, Jesus is raising an awareness, a consciousness of himself in Rogers Park so that in him can be found an offering of grace and forgiveness and meaning and freedom and rest and peace and hope with the power to heal and the power to restore and renew and redeem. And where all of this connects with our message today, and it does, <laughs> is that our role in God's purposes for the world as those who usher in the kingdom all starts with our, with our being. We, we, we can only bear witness to Christ as, as king when we know the security of our own personal relationship with the king. And when we are living out the ways of his kingdom, in that sense, our lives, they become our proclamation. The church's mission, it flows from our identity in Christ, and our identity determines the lives that we live. And so let me read our passage for today, find in Luke chapter 6, and we're going to read from verse 27 right down to verse 42, and allow me to read it slowly today and let just God's Word speak for itself. In this passage, we, we see the radically new way of life that we are called to live as demonstrators of God's kingdom. Let me read Luke chapter 6, verse 27 to 42. It says this, But I say to you here, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not that you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. He also told them a parable, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck that is in your own eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the clarity of your word. 
God, we thank you that you meet us through your word. God, we thank you that you pierce our hearts and you draw us closer to you. We thank you, God, for in these verses just a beautiful testimony of the love of God. That is a love that to us is overwhelming and can feel unattainable, and yet it is a love that is modeled after your heart for us. So God, would you lead us, would you guide us today, open our eyes to the beauty of your love, and the grace and hope that's found in the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, Jimmy pointed out that the, the ways of the kingdom of God, they stand in opposition to what we naturally think is a true and right ordering of our world. When we see through the lens of the kingdom, we see that for those whose lives today are hidden in Christ, it is them, despite being poor and hungry and weeping, it is they that are in fact blessed. Jesus saying that when we have him, he is of so much worth and value no matter what else we don't have, if we have him, we are blessed. And if we have all of the wealth and all of the laughter and everything else that the world celebrates as riches, but without Christ, woe to you. Cursed is your life. And now Jesus says something that feels equally contradictory to our natural perception. Firstly, if you are poor and you're hungry and weeping, and that is the grouping which Jesus sets forth with the expectation that it is they that will be his followers, then it's not a stretch to read in this week's passage that Christ's followers are also, rather than being popular and celebrated, are also going to be those that encounter enemies. But what feels so contradictory to our natural perception is what we read in verse 27, where it says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those that hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. And if we want to take a minute to sit in this verse. It's maybe not hard, but to sit in its uncomfortability, we just need to remind ourselves of times in our lives when pain and hurt and bitterness has ran deep. When we've been mistreated or we've been rejected. And maybe some of us are even in the midst of a conflict right now and what is being asked of us in verse 27 is so, so far what, from what you're feeling. Love your enemies. Jesus isn't finished. It's just verse 1. He continues in verse 29. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Verse 30, give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And I think it's basically impossible to read these verses in some sense, some sense and not feel like they're unattainable. You know what I mean? Surely the, the first verse is going to leave us walked over and beaten with, with everything that we have stolen and the second verse, in verse 30, surely means we're going to be taken advantage of with all of our possessions given away. 
there's no doubt that Jesus is speaking here about a radical posture of generosity and a radical acceptance of mistreatment, which I know stands in, in, in contradiction to so much of what it maybe feels or is commonly known and propagated and standing up for your rights and to fight against injustice that we may be experiencing, but it can't be denied. Jesus here speaks of an openness, a willingness to suffer at the hands of another. What runs through these verses like like a thread is that this new kingdom life Jesus is calling his followers to live is a life in which people are not given up on. One one where nobody is left behind. Which sounds really, really nice until we remember he's talking about our enemies. (laughs) Do, Do you see this? Everything in this passage is synonymous with the behavior of somebody that could be deemed our enemy. Someone that, that, that might strike you again after they've already hit you once. Someone who, who might take your cloak after they've already stolen your tunic. Someone with a propensity to, to, to bag themselves into stealing from you. And yet see this. In each of these verses, they hinge on hope. That they hinge on the possibility that he who struck once may not strike again. That without you you demanding they return what they have taken, maybe they still will. And please don't don't hear me wrong today. Let me be really clear. If someone is in an abusive relationship, these verses are not a command to remain where you are not safe. And please especially don't feel deterred from, from seeking help. These verses are no way dismissive of decisions some of us might need to take in getting out of relationships where we are in harm's way. It should also be noted that many people in our world have no means of escape. And scripture is always unflinching in speaking into our realities. And whatever our stories as Christ followers, these verses they need reckoned with. Where we find Jesus is commending a way of life where we remain open-hearted in love towards those that have hurt us or taken from us, knowing their behavior may continue, but also knowing that it may not. Praying that it will not. Then in verse 31, Jesus actually asks of us to presume, in fact, how would we in their shoes want to be treated? It reads, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Whatever it is that we so wish they would say, Whatever it is that we so wish that they would do or stop doing or stop making us feel, whatever the behavior we so wish from them, do so to them. Then verse 32 to 35, Jesus speaks more about the kind of love that this is and what should motivate us to pursue this kind of radical enemy loving love. 
Jesus, in these verses, he asks a list of rhetorical questions, and these questions, they make light of what we gain from love that is reciprocated. Verse 32 reads, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Which, if you've ever been in love, you'll know loving those that love you is nice. <laughs> loving someone that loves you is the dream and is of obvious benefit. Our assumption in life is that loving those that love us is going to be of much greater gain to us than loving those that hate us. Loving those that love us is fun, and it's easy, and it's safe, and it's reassuring, and it's affirming. But then in the second half of that verse, it becomes clear Jesus is alluding here in all of these verses to a benefit that is distinctly given to Christ followers. The benefit Jesus is drawing our attention towards in these verses are not the benefits that are the really blatantly obvious ones within mutually loving and affirming relationships. Jesus here is speaking and leading us towards to think about a benefit that is given to us that is channeled through your love to you only when that love is not reciprocated. In verse 34, Jesus isn't talking about the benefit of camaraderie when, when two friends do good to one another because it says that that is a benefit even those that do not follow Christ receive. In verse 40, 34, Jesus isn't talking about the benefit of receiving money that is returned to you because even sinners or those that don't follow Christ know how to ensure they land only to those that are going to pay them back. There is a, a benefit there is a reward that Jesus is referring to here that, number one, cannot be obtained through love that is reciprocated. Number two, a benefit, a reward that can only be obtained by those that have chosen to live their lives as a radical demonstration of God's kingdom ways. Three times Jesus says, what benefit is that to you? What benefit is that to you? And with every question, Jesus is drawing us away from what we gain in relationships that are mutually affirming and mutually loving. And Jesus is saying, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about all of that reassuring, backslapping those butterflies and hand-holding. Jesus is directing us to consider what we gain from our commitment to choose love in relationships in which we are not loved. And we asked, Jesus, is this even a thing? <laughs> is there really something to be gained? Like when you feel rejected and time and time again, uh, but you, you, you still choose to stay, or you know what has been said about you, and you know who, who said it, but you still choose grace, and you still choose forgiveness, or we've been let down over and over and over again, and we know that the chances of change are really, really slim, and yet we hang in there patiently, enduringly, mercifully. Is there anything to be gained from love that's hard fought? In verse 35, Jesus says, love your enemies and do good and land, expecting nothing in return, 
and your reward will be great. Your reward will be great. When Jesus says expect nothing in return, I don't think he only means to love without agenda. I think he means us to reorient ourselves, to reorient the positioning of ourselves to receive what is to be gained, not from whom it is we are choosing to love, but from he whom Jesus says has a reward for us that is great. To reorient ourselves away from our expectations, from receiving love, from the person that we're loving, and focusing ourselves on the one who says, I have a reward, I have a benefit for you in this love. It's so great. And so I want to encourage you today, church, to keep going in that kind of love. There is a rich theme that's weaved through Scripture that speaks of Christ rewarding those that choose to follow him, rewarding them. Matthew 5, 12 says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. Luke 6, 23 reads, Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great. Philippians 3, verse 14, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What these verses mean is that it is right and it is good to persevere within the Christian life for the sake of a heavenly reward, one that is received for us to receive not in this life, which should be a source of of help and perseverance along the way. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 says, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, and no one's heart even imagined what God has prepared for those that love him. Verse 35 reads, Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. As Christ followers, we are to reorient ourselves to receive our reward, not from whom it is we are choosing to love, but from God himself, but also both our reward and our behavior is the result of our being. Our reward and our behavior is due to our identity as sons, as children of the Most High. But we still have a choice. Every day we have a choice. Verse 35 says, you will be sons of the Most High. As in, when you live this way, when you love and your love is not reciprocated, it is then, it is in those moments that you will be stepping into your identity as a child of God. Why? Because just as our children become like us, if we were to take all the kids out of the kids' ministry and put them into the the, the gym and try to match them up with their parents, maybe signs like that would be overwhelming. It would be chaotic, but we could get there. (laughs) 
Every family has its own traits. Every family has physical characteristics. And every family lives uniquely in a way that makes our families identifiable. And it's just the same in the family of God. There, there are unique traits that are, that are true of us if we are living and walking in step with our identity. And the traits of Christ followers are not, they're not arbitrary or determined at random, but they are a reflection of our Heavenly Father. Verse 36 says, For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Do you see this? Yes, God is holy and God is just and every person will stand before God accountable for the life that we have lived. And yes, within the character of God, there is no contradiction. But Jesus is speaking here about a particular characteristic of the God of the Bible and it's his openness and it's his willingness to suffer at the hands of others. God's patience amidst rejection and his kindness in the waiting. Jesus is speaking here about God's radical posture of generosity and radical acceptance of mistreatment while still remaining open-hearted in love towards those that have hurt him and taken from him. Verse 36 reads, be merciful even as your father is merciful. As in look around and behold the mercy of God. How he, he pours blessing on those that don't acknowledge him. How he, he gives good gifts to those that are not his children. Jesus says, when we are treated as he is, imitate him. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. Grace is the giving of what is not deserved. Mercy is the withholding of what is deserved. But as I come to a close this morning, let's look briefly at the, these final verses. I think Jesus knew more needed to be said. In the following verses, he, he turns the table and he turns the table back on us. Because what should be uniquely which should uniquely help us in stepping into our identity as children of God is not only reflecting on our response to others' failures, but reflecting on our own. Verse 37 reads, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. For the measure that you see in judgment of the measurement that you use in judgment of others will be measured back to you. And then Jesus closes these, with these famous words in verse 41. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out that is in your brother's eye. RP in these verses today, it's as if Jesus is saying, yes, you are going to encounter enemies in life. 
And yes, you, you, you will be mistreated, and yet, yes, relationships are going to break down, and horrible things are going to be said, and are going to be done, but it's as if Jesus is closing this verse saying, but, but don't, don't judge wrongly. Don't, don't presume. Don't, don't, don't take the wrong angle. Don't, don't make something that it is not. And don't hold people to a standard that you yourself aren't able to meet. Be sure, church, that your enemy really is your enemy. Because in the life of the church, broadly, there are far too many children that misidentify their brothers and their sisters as enemies. Church, every single one of us have found ourselves as an enemy of God. We, we each have lived a life rejecting him, rebelling against him, ridiculing him with our blatant and repetitive sin. We slap him on one cheek and he turns to us the other. He, he offers us his cloak and we take his tunic. We beg for his help and offer nothing in return. And yet throughout our lives, time and time again, and again, and again, and again. God's patience and his mercy make a way for our stories to hinge towards hope. Jesus went to the cross to hang in the place of his enemies so that through resurrection power, we could be given new hearts and new lives and new affections and new characteristics and new traits that are not our own but have been gifted to us through adoption into the family of God. So we who have been striking the face of God in our rejection of him may today choose to stop. That we may enter into a new identity, not as his enemy, but as his child. And our reward, the, the, the benefit of our behavior, if we choose to walk in our identity, is the deeper and deeper and deeper and ever-growing awareness of what it means to be his. When we reorient ourselves towards the benefits that we receive in Christ, we realize that all that is lacking in our friendships and our marriages and our relationships is found in him. RP, he will not reject you. He will not strike you. He will not steal from you. He will not hurt you. He will never leave you or abuse you. Church, the kingdom of God is safe. And one day, it will fully come. But until then, we strive to be a fortieth. And somehow, I don't know, because so often we're not. <laughs> and yet still, the kingdom of God, as a matter of fact, is most fully expressed in our world and made evident within the community of Christ, within the church. And that may not be because in the church nobody gets hurt, and mistakes aren't made, horrible things happen in churches. But maybe... Maybe we're a foretaste of the kingdom of God, of the kingdom to come, not in our perfection, but in our refusal to leave anybody behind.
in our always hinging on hope, in our giving the enemy a home, praying what happened won't happen again. Maybe we are the kingdom and are getting back up. Believing always in God's power to heal and restore and redeem because that is what he has done for each of us. Church, our mission flows from our identity in Christ and our identity determines the lives that we live. We are to be a foretaste and an instrument of God's kingdom that's to come and so it's imperative that we identify each other correctly. Not as enemies, but as brothers and sisters. And even if that is too much for you right now, love your enemy. Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, God, this all starts with your character. It all starts with who you are. That you are a God that chose to write history and to reveal yourself. A God of patience, a God of grace, a God of mercy. A God who all through history is taking one slap and another slap and yet still chooses to write a story through time that is good and is beautiful and is redeeming a people for yourself. And so God, I pray, God, that if anybody is, is, is here and they have not walked through that door, they have not chosen to receive your mercy, they haven't chosen to, to, to step into your availability in their life, God, I pray that would occur today. God, I pray, God, that you will help us to identify one another well and clearly. God, that we are a church of brothers and sisters. And you are a heavenly father. And so, God, would you help us to imitate you in all of our words and all of our deeds and all of our actions, I pray. In your name, amen.